On today's episode of the Playgrounder podcast, we're back with another draft with Joseph Cacharo of The Score. We do the non-All-Star draft, so any player that's never made an All-Star team is eligible. Um, a lot of young, up-and-coming stars, as expected, and then you know some older guys who were probably close to making All-Star teams throughout their career but just couldn't squeeze in. Uh, really fun, though, really competitive. I'm looking at all three of our teams now, and... It's going to be a tough vote, I'll say that the least, but that'll be up at Playgrounder NBA on Twitter for you to vote once this pod comes out. And then we go to Pat Benson and his new book, The Kobe Bryant Sneaker History. So we talked to him about the process of writing the book, and you get a sneak peek at some of the inside, and then, you know, we're actually going to do a giveaway for the book. So be tuned to that on our Twitter as well, at Playgrounder NBA again. We will tweet out the details shortly after this pod comes out as well. So really good conversation with him. Really fun draft with Cash. I'm at Zach Wilson NBA on Twitter. He's Matt Esposito underscore. And let's get it. Okay, so we've done a few of these drafts, Matt. How do you feel that, you know, you finally won one last time? Because, you know, you were on a bit of a losing streak, right? You couldn't beat me, and then you even dipped off for a couple and just had me and a guest do it. So, like, are you are you on your high horse now that you won one? I don't feel like I ever lost. I feel like everyone who <laughs> voted was wrong. Who are you, Pat Riley? Uh, the asterisk is next to our name, not the Lakers. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I was the winner, and I feel like, actually, I have no idea what to do with this draft, though, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think it's an interesting one. So we're doing the non all star draft and we're not just competing against each other. We brought on, you know, a a guy who does this for a living. See if we can uh, see if either of us can take him down or we both can. We got Joseph Cacharo of the score. Also the co-host of the pound the rock podcast. Uh, Joseph, how would you kind of rate your drafting skills? Well, I was going to say when you said, you know, bringing in someone who does this for a living, uh, Sorry to disappoint the audience. I am not a professional NBA scout, so I actually don't uh, I don't draft teams for a, or build teams for a living. But um, I'd say my drafting ability is solid. You know, I think it's a solidly above average, but uh, definitely not my forte when it comes to uh, even the NBA analysis I do. The draft is is not really top of mind. Yeah, I found something really interesting about myself as we've done these, and I really draft defensive teams and. I mean, like, I feel like on the court they would play out better than they necessarily do on the polls because, I don't know, I just don't think defense shines on the polls. But then again, I have won a few. So, um, Matt, what should we do with this order? What are you, what are you thinking? Well, all right, first of all, all you do is draft Toronto Raptors. Yeah, that is not true. <laughs> and, and what did I say? I said I draft defense. And what, do, what does every yeah. single Raptor do well, even though none of them got so, credited for it this year? Listen, I know that they all play good defense, but, like, I'm just going to laugh when you draft – Fred VanVleet. Just know that, like, <laughs> I will be laughing at you. Um, okay, so I'm. I don't care what the order is. Cash, you want to go first? That doesn't matter. Up to you guys. I'm, I'm good either way. You you go first, and then do you want you want to do snake pick? Yeah, we'll go. We'll go snake. Uh, I guess I can take the third one. You go in the middle, Matt. It's wait a minute. Is that okay? Yeah, I just I'll just go second then, Zach. You asked if um, I wanted the snake pick, and you called the snake pick last time the last pick because I don't know why. Have you ever? Okay, Cash. Have you ever heard someone call the last pick in a snake draft the snake pick? I have not. No. 
it's not a bad name. It's not at all. It's not. I like it. Yeah. But Matt, you said it last episode. Like we all should have known it. Yeah, I I said it like I was cool, and you guys weren't cool, and that's not how it turned out. Um, okay, you know, it's usually so like I'm, in uh, in in pro sports they usually call it Mister Irrelevant, the last pick of any draft. Like in any of the four majors, they call him uh, Mister Irrelevant. Yeah, now we're putting a positive spin on that. Actually, I like it. yeah. So snake definitely. Uh, <laughs> like that's as what, in, that's what we should call the guy who gets picked sixtieth, the snake. Yeah, yeah. It, and K, it's is like, KD going sixtieth? Woo! It's like, are you? Are you the are you the last pick of your own draft year, or are you just like the first first pick of next year's draft? Like that's that's the spin on it. That's the spin that we need. Yeah, I still um, got picked first before whoever went first next year. So that's what that's what they need. That's that's <laughs> we're gonna copyright it. Well, I'm I'm ready whenever you are. Whenever you want to dive in and wow us with your first pick, because okay, I have so no idea what. Did, did we right, mention so. that we're doing the non All Star draft? Did I say that already? Yes. Okay, yeah. So it's essentially anyone who hasn't made an all-star team ever in their career, and we're drafting the current version of the player. We're drafting as if we're sending these teams out game one of next season, you know, whenever that starts. Um, and, yeah, typical drafting where we're drafting lineups. We're going to let you guys vote on them. All right, Cash, you have the first pick. Jamal Murray. You're a jerk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll cross that. Okay, so tell everyone the rationale for Jamal Murray. All right, I mean, I think um, – he has more than convinced me and others, you know, like I, I was always high on Murray, but I wasn't even as a Canadian basketball person who was high on Jamal Murray. I never quite believed he had like a high level, all-star lower level superstar tier. I just didn't. I thought he was going to be like a really good starter, um, low level all-star who would make a couple all-star games here and there. I think you can't help, but take what he did in the bubble and not just, you know, in like a one week stretch in part of the bubble or in like a couple of games here and there in the playoffs. If you, if you look at his entire uh, bubble resume and what he did in the postseason, especially over the course of the postseason uh, for a team that went all the way to the conference finals, that was at his age, especially like that is that superstar level stuff. There's no other way to put it. And so I, when I was looking at the guys, you know, active players who have not made an all-star team yet going into next season based on how I value them right now uh, I, I'd take Jamal Murray first and I think uh, the thing I like about it too is that you know he kind of fills he fills like the guard lead ball handler role uh, on a lineup I'd be crafting but he also fills the potential number one scoring option at worst number two scoring option on that team he can shoot he can okay maybe not the greatest defender but for the most part and what you'd want from like the, the star scorer or ball handler on a team, given who we have to pick from, I don't think you can do better than that. So what's your expectations for him next year? Because obviously like we have a ton of recency bias, but like um, sometimes, sometimes I think our recency bias when we discuss that term has like recency bias. And like at the end of the day, he still played really freaking awesome and you can never discount that. So like, what do you expect from him next year? I think he'll be an all-star. I think he'll make an all-star uh, team for the first time in his career. I mean, I guess there's not going to be an all-star game, so that's one thing. I don't know how sure. they're going to do that. But if there was one, I think he would make an all-star team. Um, I think he will be in the running for like a third-team all-NBA spot. Um, and yeah, I think he will be, you know, the clear-cut second-best player on a team that in an 82-game season would win like 55 games-ish, you know, in that range. Uh, yeah, I, I think... I think that is his role for the foreseeable future. And I think with 
you know, Nikola Jokic and some of the young talent they have there. That's pretty damn exciting if you're a Nuggets fan. I completely agree. I'm kind of mad that you took him. Um, be- mostly because like I wasn't sure who to take first, but I knew that if you took Jamal Murray, you wouldn't get like any, like you wouldn't catch any like flack about it. So yeah. kind of jealous, but that's a great pick. Um, I'm kind of stuck with what I want to do. Do I want to take a ball handler? Um, I think at the end of the day, I'm going to take someone who has just incredible potential. I'm going to take Zion. Um, Shoot. Yeah, I'm taking Zion. And I'm taking it because – so I looked at other names on here. Like I looked at John Morant, um, Jalen Brown a little bit. Like I love his ceiling. But I think Zion is one of those guys who um, – like there's a handful of players in the NBA, in my opinion, who could possibly win MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, the year in the same season. And I know that's like a ways, a ways away. But like when you look at the scouting report, when you go back to the scouting reports, because um, I think it's important to do with the year they had this year. Like, I think we're forgetting just how much of a superstar people thought he was going to be. So um, I expect him to come back healthy next year and and, and hopefully in, in better shape. And once he catches on to the speed of the game, I mean, he's someone we haven't really seen before. Like the you know, he can be the like the most efficient star in the NBA. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll see. I just I love his ceiling. Um, and I love what he can do on the court. So. I'm I'm going with Zion here. That's that's my pick. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I was the one who yelled out an explicitive shoot there because he was definitely <laughs> going to be one of my two picks here. Uh, I was going to go with a guard and then him to kind of run my two man game, some pick and rolls. So I'm still going to take the guard. And it's funny, I started off saying that I draft defense. Um, well, this guy I'm definitely drafting offense, but he's a guy who can be my lead ball handler. He can also play off another lead ball handler if I get another one. That's C.J. McCollum, a guy who. Probably, if he was in the East for his entire career, probably would have made one or two of these All-Star teams. Um, playing beside Dame, we've we've seen how he can play beside another guy who's you know an All-Star caliber player. And even moments when Dame's been out of the lineup, he's been able to take over. So I really like my pick in CJ. And I think for my second pick, instead of going with you know like a one-two combo big man thing, I think I'm going to shore up my wings, and I'm going to go a little more defense with a guy that Matt's already brought up, and I'm going to take Jalen Brown. I'm kind of surprised you didn't take OG Ananobi just because I know you have like a. Oh, he's still there. on my radar. If he's there, when <laughs> next time I come around, I'm going. I'm he, like he's he's going. Okay, so you have. Let's recap. You have. Um, I already forgot your first pick. You have wait. You have CJ and Jalen. Yeah. Which okay, which one makes an All Star game first? Uh, Cash. What do you think, Jalen Brown or CJ McCollum? I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Jalen Brown because I think. I think CJ is pretty squarely in his prime right now. And, and not that he's old by any stretch, but I don't necessarily think CJ is getting much better than this. And, you know, it, it's hard enough to make it as an all-star in the West at the guard position. So I think based on the fact he hasn't made one yet, I would say it's actually pretty likely McCollum just never makes one. Um, How do you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Good. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say, and, and I think Jalen, you know, even though the East is getting better and, and, and getting more stacked with star talent every year, I still think, you know, Jalen's best years are ahead of him. And he was already a borderline all-star this year. You know, if, if the Celtics remain elite in the East for the coming years, which they should, they should get multiple all-stars every year. And and Jalen's numbers are already pretty much there as like a 20-point-per-game scorer who can do a little bit of everything, uh, defends well. If he even gets a little better and there's like even the smallest crack of an opening for an all-star spot, 
in the East, he's filling it. So uh, I think he's likely to make an all-star team in the next year or two. And I think it's likely CJ just never does. How do you, how, how would you grade the fit between CJ and Dane? Because it's something that I've liked, but I've never been in love with. And just in terms of like roster construction, right? So like how, how you know, how, how would you grade their fit? I mean, it, ideally, I'd like it if not. I don't think CJ is a terrible defender, but he's not a great defender, and Dame's obviously not a good defender at all. Ideally, right. you know, I'd like one of my two starting backcourt stars uh, to be able to hold their own on that end. Um, but at the end of the day, we're kind of splitting hairs here because if you, if someone gives you the option to have. Dame and CJ as your backcourt and and you kind of don't know what else is available to you you're taking that right like uh, a top 10 caliber player leading the team and his backcourt mate is you know as almost as good of a number two scorer a number two backcourt players you can ask for the guy can shoot he can be you know a primary or secondary ball handler depending on the situation um, he can maybe slide up a position once in a while uh, I like them like I like them as a backcourt in saying that do I think you can win a championship if those are your two best players, probably not. But I think that, you know, that's like a whole nother conversation about how rare it is that you can win a championship in general. So I don't want to like use that as the reason I don't like them. I like them as a combo. I think they've proven if they're your two best players, you know, you've got a good shot to be a very good playoff team every year, have a chance to make a deep run, but ultimately fall short. Yeah. And, and that's important. I think something that like fans don't always realize is like sometimes Owners just want to make the playoffs, you know, and and they're going to do that for you. They've been doing that for years, and they're going to continue to do so. So, well, I have to cross him off my list. That would have been a good pairing with with Zion. Um, I'm going to go with a guard though, and I think I know who I'm going to take. Okay, I'm going to take John Morant. Not just like because I'm obsessed with this draft class. Um, I just so I, I'm. I also looked at Darren Fox. Um, I think he's someone who has had kind of a, I, I don't know if up and down is the best way to characterize it, but when you look at his shooting numbers, it would definitely be up and down. So I looked at him for a little bit, but I like John Morant. Um, I think what we saw from him, the, from him this year was really encouraging. Um, he showed that he can create off, uh, create on the ball, and, and I think his, his pull-up shooting is going to get better. Um, his athleticism just makes plays happen that other people can't make right so i love i love the co uh, combination with him and zion however my team has a lot of injury potential i feel like down the road um like a lot of people have talked about john moran's like landing mechanics and i was all over the place so i'm gonna take it for now um and and just like well here's something that i would like to ask you guys um when you look at john moran he he's obviously a great athlete what do you think like, what do you project for him defensively going forward? Because I think he has, like, the requisite athleticism to be a good defender. So, you know, what do, what do you think? I think he's going to be a good defender. You know, I don't, I don't think, um, like, the scouting reports maybe didn't have it on him. And he's not there yet just because it's very rare a rookie, let alone a rookie guard, is an above-average defender or, like, a positive-value right. defender. But I think Ja will get there. I think um, he's too much of a competitor. Uh, he's too smart of a player. That's one thing that I think gets under uh overlooked when it comes to jaw is people think of like these like super quick point guards a lot of times they they operate with such a at such a frenetic pace 
that you all you don't often talk about those point guards as the same point guards who have like poise and can control mm-hmm. a game and be game managers. But to me, what makes Jaw so special is that he does have that. Like he Jaw is the very rare um, point guard who can destroy you with his speed and a frenetic pace while also having a poise and like uh, almost old man game to him that not a lot of people recognize. And I think, you know, that poise, those smarts, the competitiveness, the fact that he is a ball hawk already, I think he has all the makings there to be a like super, super disruptive defensive pest on that end. And I don't think he's ever going to like be, you know, the, the best defender on an elite defense just because of the, um, maybe the natural ability isn't there on the defensive end. And also he's going to carry an offensive burden. That's pretty high for the majority of his career. But I think, you know, among like guys that project as high usage uh, guards going forward and star guards, I think he'll be one of the best defensively. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, no, I, I agree. I was just going to hop on, say hop on uh, that train and definitely say, I agree. And as a, as like someone who's coached a few seasons, you know, of basketball, I, uh, I tell my guys, all the time that defense is really 60% effort and yes you need smarts and yes athleticism helps a lot but if you're not willing to put in the effort on that end none of it's going to matter so jaw does seem like that type of guy who's too much of a competitor and he's just a ball hawk as you mentioned he's definitely going to put in the work and he definitely has athleticism I think to say the least you can say his athleticism so I can see his defensive game panning out fine I, I don't know if I'll ever be a guy we consider lockdown like a Marcus Smart at that position but for what he brings on offense I think defensively definitely won't be considered a liability so all right uh let's recap the order okay yeah so I always can I always screw up snake pick okay so you're up cash yeah right. you've two so- in a row now I have yeah. two in a row. All right. First, I'm going to complete this very dynamic all-Canadian backcourt by drafting Shai Gilgis-Alexander <laughs> and giving me a Murray-Shea uh, backcourt. Um, you know, I think Shea's defensive ability makes this pairing work. Uh, Shea's already proven that he can excel in a backcourt with other ball-dominant guards, whether it's uh, with Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, or both of them, you know, and all three on the court at the same time. So I think uh, what I love about pairing him with Murray is you end up in this situation where both guards um, can beat you with their individual offense. Both are good enough playmakers to pick you apart in that way. Um, Both uh, Jamal obviously is a great shooter. I think Shea will be a good shooter eventually. He kind of already is under the radar. Um, Shea, again, can, can defend the hell out of the ball and can slide up defensively uh, guarding bigger players as well or bigger perimeter players. Shea's also like pretty smart off the ball. So there's not really too much concern for me with like, Oh, they're both ball dominant players like that. I think it would work wonders. So yeah, that's, uh, that's my starting backcourt. There's Jamal Murray and Shea Gilgis Alexander. Now you guys want me to make my next pick or did you guys want to say anything there? I was just going to say like for the first time ever, I'm super excited for Canadian basketball and the Canadian Olympic team because I mean, you just took the guys who will probably be the starting backcourt in the Olympics. If NBA players can join the Olympics, if not, then I guess the next Olympics. Uh, But yeah, I, uh, you mentioned obviously how it's a Canadian backcourt. And I just, I don't know, as a Canadian, it excites me that finally we're going to have probably a team full of NBA players if they're able to go, which is, would be a first ever. If they if they can qualify first at that pre-Olympic qualifier, if NBA players are even there, yeah, it, it, it might be a long road. But if if they get there and and they bring their best guys, yeah, not many teams, none actually outside of the U.S. will have a better backcourt than that. I would I would love to get involved in a Canadian basketball discussion, but it'll take me down a a path of just 
spreading my love for RJ Barrett as a as a prospect, and that's some and he's a player I could talk about forever for some reason. So I'm gonna refrain, but just know that I love the pick. It's um, also who you're gonna take next to complete your your rookie class trio. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, uh, but but yeah, go ahead, bless us with your next pick. Um, I'm a little scared because I like I'm looking at your team right now and I really like it. So <laughs> go for all it. Right. So there's a, there's a couple guys in my in my head, but I do wanna. I want to get a modern big man in there to kind of solidify things. Um, and, and this guy is uh, in the modern NBA. He can be your absolute, especially the way he looked the last couple of years and this year, especially he can be an elite rim protector. Again, he can be the anchor of a defense, whether it's, you know, traditional or a more small ball. And he is uh, capable of stretching the floor on offense. So no worries there. Plus he has, really improved as a playmaker, uh, good pick and roll finisher, either as a pick and pop or a, a roller, good screener. And that is, uh, sorry, because maybe Zach wanted to take him since he's a Raptor or could <laughs> be a Raptor if he resigns, but it's Serge Ibaka. Oh, I love it. Where I do you think that, he goes? I, I definitely knew that's where you're going with that description. I, I, I still think he resigns uh, if you're asking where he goes. Yeah. I just, uh, this, this offseason is so weird, man. This like condensed, truncated offseason season. I think there'll be a market for Surge, but maybe not as much as there should be or that he's earned based on just uh, how weird this offseason will be. And I think I, I do think the Raptors, if I had to pick one outcome, I think it's that the Raptors um, find a way to bring him back on maybe like a one year balloon payment kind of contract where they overpay him a little Maybe You know, they make him whole for maybe not getting a long term deal that he wants. And then he can hit free agency again next year and get maybe a longer term deal somewhere else. Yeah, he's um, he's interesting because I remember you know early in his earlier in his career, there were a lot of questions about his age, right? A lot of people were like, well, yeah. we don't really know how old he is, um, but then you look at him now and like he it's it is hard to find a player aging as nicely as Serge Ibaka is, and like he's gonna he's extended his NBA career like so 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 far. Um, Zach, who's a team you think could steal Serge away? I was going to say the only guy aging nicer than him is his teammate, Kyle Lowry. Um, yeah. I th- I feel like the only reasonable option, maybe there's two. I think Miami's one. They could give him a one-year balloon payment as well as they kind of prep for the 2020 offseason. And then, I don't know, I just feel like I have to throw the Knicks in there because they're capable of throwing anybody big money. And we know how much they love power forwards. So uh, I guess Serge is maybe more of a center now. But, yeah, I, uh, I would have to say Miami would be the one team. But I think I'm like Cash. I think a one-year balloon payment for... Uh, back mm-hmm. to Toronto is probably the most likely. I could see Brooklyn as well, um, just because because of his relationship with Durant. But who who knows? I mean, it's it's definitely one of the names to watch. Um, okay, so you have um, you have your all Canadian backcourt, and then you just took Serge Ibaka. I'm gonna take a Raptor, and Zach, you're not gonna be happy. I'm not. I all right. I personally believe that OG Ananobi is the best defender in the NBA. Um, I just, I don't know. There's always one clip that stands out, uh, when I think about OG Ananobi and it's, it's, I think it's early to take a player like him, but just defensively, he's so good. So there's a clip of him defending Deandre Ayton and like he blocks Deandre Ayton's like turnaround jump shot. And it's one of those things that I think I like, um, I, you know, the first time you watch it, like, Oh, whatever. And then you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like Deandre Ayton's like seven foot one, seven foot six wingspan. And here's OG, like Deandre Ayton couldn't even move him. Um, so, and, and we saw what he did. Uh, I think he had a little bit of a breakout in, in the, in the playoffs. So I think his offensive potential is better than, 
than what a lot of people will give him credit for. But like, I, I sincerely, if let me, let me phrase, let me ask you a question. I'll phrase it to you this way. Um, if I were to say that he's the best defender in the NBA, would you, would you say that that's a hot take or like a cold take or somewhere in between? I think it's a hot take because I don't think, I don't think he's the best overall defender in the NBA, but I think he's the best. I truly, truly believe he might be the best on ball defender alive right now. I think he is that good on that end. Um, Maybe not the like you know I think if you're looking at overall defensive Im- impact on a game, I'd still look at Giannis, Rudy Gobert, maybe even still maybe. Anthony Davis. But I think if you're just strictly talking about you need a guy to defend on ball, basically almost no matter the position, it's OG and Anobi for me. I think he is that good on that end. Zach, share some loving words for OG because I know you want to get him out. Yeah, I've drafted OG in every single draft we've done that he's been eligible in. I like it, it's a. Uh... I was going to draft him probably next or with my next two. Um, but yeah, I um, I go back and forth between him and Ben Simmons being the best on-ball defenders, but I definitely would probably end up saying OG. Uh, ooh, that's, a, that's tough. Should I make my third pick? Go for it. So I'm going to draft a guy, and then Cash, after I draft him, I want you to tell me what you think is going to happen with him this offseason because he's kind of been floating around in some rumors, and I'm going to draft a guy who... Maybe has the pos- has the possibility of making an All Star team next year, but I think that's only if he gets out of Brooklyn, and that's Karis Levert. Wow, um, I like Karis Levert, and I think um, you know he he wasn't very efficient maybe in the bubble and in the playoffs, but I think he showed there he showed some level of like it's weird to say because I know he wasn't efficient and a lot of guys could score a lot inefficiently if you just gave them the shots. But I think the way Karis Levert went about getting it done, even in that sweep when he was inefficient was like, I saw good things from him. I liked the way he kind of figured some stuff out on the fly, uh, broke down some Raptors coverages over the course of a game. He like adapted. I, I think, I think the ability and the the basketball IQ and the vision is there. Uh, the play, the improved playmaking is there that I think he can be um, like a good starting guard and, you know, number two, three score on a really good team. Now, the, the, where I, uh, the issue with like in, envisioning him as an all-star is I don't think he could be the best player. Like if he's your best player, you're a bad team. And if you're a really bad team, you're probably not getting an all-star anyway, right? Regardless. And if he stays in Brooklyn, he's like their third or fourth best player, depending on how you think of maybe Spencer Dinwiddie or even Jared Allen at his absolute best. So I think if he stays in Brooklyn and he kind of fits where maybe he should on a great team, he probably gets overlooked for for an all-star spot. And if he goes somewhere where he's like really elevated, but the team's nowhere near good enough, he gets overlooked. So I think he's in this weird kind of like middle purgatory where I, so I don't think he's going to be an all-star, but I, uh, if it makes sense, like I'm not saying his his ceiling or his skill level is an all-star level. It's just, he's in that weird purgatory range where um, maybe not unlike CJ McCollum, who we already discussed, right? Uh, Where I don't think he'll actually ever be an all-star, but I don't think it's because he doesn't have that potential. No. Yeah. And that makes a a lot of sense. He'd have to go somewhere like essentially just the perfect fit where he's probably like the number two guy, but that's a number two guy on a really good team. So they have a really good supporting cast where I don't know, just the thing off the top of my head, if he went to, Philly and some sort of deal that I guess maybe one of Ben or Joel left. I don't, I don't know. That's off the top of my head. Um, I'm going to make my fourth pick here, and I want to ask you the same thing that I asked you for Karis. What do you think is going to happen with him this offseason? 
I'm actually going to draft a guy who led the NBA in offensive rating this year. Um, and that's Danilo Gallinari. I, I don't know if you can, I'm shaking my head. As soon as you said you were going to draft the guy <laughs> with the best offensive rating, I started shaking my head because I can't believe someone else took my, my pies on. Uh, uh, okay. I take and, it back. You can have him. No, no I'm, I'm kidding. Need him. I need yeah, him. I anyone, need him. Anyone, uh, anyone, you know, listening to the podcast or like if anyone follows me on Twitter, they know how I feel about Gallo. Um, there have been a lot of underwhelming Italians in the NBA over the years. You know, Bargnani was a disgrace to my people, but Gallo, <laughs> Gallo's great, man. And he is so, he remains to me underrated. People still do not realize how elite of an offensive player he is. And yes, he is a defensive sieve. No, no question. But the value he brings on the offensive end is insane. You can look at his advanced metric, his natural, like basic numbers, whatever it is. You can look at every single facet of the way he scores, and he scores he scores from every area on the floor. He scores in every scenario at an absolutely elite efficient level. Like um, you want to talk about as the uh, the ball handler in even in if he has to run a pick and roll, you want to talk about as a spot up guy in the post, um, you know, catch and shoot, like whatever the situation is, this guy just scores super efficiently. And then what a lot of people um, don't seem to give him credit for is that he's one of the absolute best in the game in drawing fouls. If you look at his uh, his his free throws per field goal attempts, like very few guys get to the line at the rate he does. So as a pure offensive player, if he is on a team where um, he's got good defensive players around him, and you know he's not like your best or even second best player, if he's like your number two or three scorer. And you've got good defenders out there. You're set because this guy brings so much offensive value. I'm feeling uh, you just made me feel even better about my pick than I felt before I made it. <laughs> Matt, what are you going to do to follow that up? Because I don't think I don't think Cash has any more praise for anybody you pick next. Like you can't follow that. Act. I know. No. I'm trying to think of like I'm, I'm going to vote for your team. So I'm going to vote against my <laughs> team like on that. Twitter because you took Geller. <laughs> I'm like running my head to like try and figure out some Italians that are in the league and they're just. Right, right now, it's just Gallo, Belly, and Melly. That's it. Yeah. Was yeah. Garbajosa Italian? Was he? No, he was Spanish. Mm, he was. So, um, one thing we forgot to mention about Gallinari, his nickname on Basketball Reference is the Rooster. Yeah, Gallo. Because uh, in Italian, uh, uh, Gallo is a, a rooster. Okay. Oh, I see, thought I it was because of his that. hair. It, the hair was like, uh, uh, I think it was like him kind of like having fun with it like doing the faux hawk kind of looking like a rooster but it's because everyone calls him gallo because of his name mm. and gallo is actually a rooster in italian um do you do you speak any italian uh yeah i speak like a solid amount but not fluently but i can pretty much understand for the most part fluently see i'm the opposite i um so I, first of all i don't look italian at all um but i'm 50 percent um my last name's esposito but which is like a dead giveaway, like your name yeah, hasn't evolved. Yeah. But I, I'm the opposite. I can't hear it for like my life, but I'm okay at like speaking it. Interesting. So we'll, we'll have it all Italian podcast. You guys yeah. can have a really good one-way conversation. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, it'd we could great. just leave you out of this, which would actually be preferred, Zach. But um, <laughs> okay, so I have – so well, Zach, very quickly, recap your team before we get to eventually to your final pick. Uh, so the best team in the draft so far has CJ McCollum, Jalen Brown, Karis LeVert, and Danilo Gallinari. The reverse of what I typically do in drafting defense because I thought, why not? Why not make it uh, have my team just score 180 points? Why not make it interesting? Um, 
Okay, so I have Ja, Zion, OG, and Anobi. Um, this next guy I'm taking, I think I can afford to take this player because I have a, a couple of good defenders, especially in OG. This player, um, I think for his, yeah, for his career, he's 41% from three on just under seven three-point attempts per game and might actually be on a new team next year if he gets traded or not uh, with some rumors out there. So I'm going to take Buddy Heald. And I really value what he does, uh, which is kind of like a very obvious thing to say. Like, uh, But I just think there's such a premium we place on shooting. And, and throughout his career, he is he's literally one of the best high-volume three-point shooters in the NBA. Um, I, I think he's a player who, on the right team, really, really changes his narrative. Um, I don't know if there's like, you know, we've seen different stuff floated out there, you know, like the can, 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 you know, can Philly offload one of their, their two really bad contracts with Harris or Horford to bring back Buddy Heels. Like we've seen some things out there, but I, I just think he's a guy who's a good team away from um, really showing how much he can do on a court. And I know he's, he's a little bit older because um, he, he, he entered the draft when I think he was like 23, 22, 23, but I just, I don't know, I love his skill set. Even if he's elite at one thing, it's that one particular thing that I really, really value. So I'm going to put him next to OG, Ja, and Zion and and kind of, you know, run some funky, some funky, uh, you know, plays for him and let it ride. So that's my team so far. Cash, why don't you uh, finish out your team with your last two picks? All right, I'm going to go with Tobias Harris next. Uh definitely wasn't one of my first choices. I, I really thought I was getting Gallo here. But, um, yeah, I think Harris, uh, you know, he's had some playoff struggles, and I definitely wouldn't want him to be, like, my top guy. But I think on a team with Jamal Murray and Shagulish Alexander, Harris, for me, would be, like, my number three guy. But he would also give me – he's kind of like Gallo light, much lighter, in the sense that, you know, he can get his shot off um, at either forward position. Uh, he He's a good shot maker, um, that's important. Like it, it sounds very simple, but having a proven scorer who can create and make his own shot, um, you know, whether it's late clock situations, whatever the case may be is big. And for as much hate as he gets for rightly so for his playoff performances and some of his playoff no shows, the fact of the matter is you do need a team that can get you through 82 games and get you to the playoffs first. And I think for the most part, Tobias Harris has proven himself to be quite competent in being like a number two, number three scorer who does it pretty efficiently, who can also shoot. So I think um, having him being like your scoring option from the 3-4 uh, on a team with Jamal Marie and Shagos Alexander is solid. And again, I've already got Surge. They're kind of locking down the defense. Uh, now this is where it's going to get hard for me because I need to fill out the roster here with ideally probably like a four-man who can defend all right, you know what? I think I'm going to do this, but it, it, then it slides Ibaka down to the four, and I don't know if I like that. Uh... Oh, man. All right. I feel like I know someone who fits your mold perfectly, but I'm not going to say it because I, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you to win. <sighs> oh, now you got me. How much, time, how, how much time do I got on the clock here? You take all the time. Yeah, we need. don't really use a clock. We're not the NBA. We're, uh, okay. we're a lot nicer. No, I'm okay, I like they, this. They Hold need on a it. Sec. Let's check this out here. I will. If you don't take this guy, I've been thinking of, I might take him, but probably not because I do need a center. So that's probably where I'm going with my next pick. I don't know, Matt. I guess you could. Oh no, you're probably in the same boat as me. Eh? You need a center. 
Zach, is the guy who you're thinking about someone who can play center? No. I don't oh. want him to I don't want him to know. Wait, who are you thinking of? Just dude, I'm, just text I'm, me. I'm, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Okay, so Yeah, Cash, take out your earbuds. I'm thinking of the guy who can play center. <laughs> uh, so am I. So I'm thinking of one guy. I'm thinking of a couple guys. <sighs> Man. You know, it's always nice when people are stressing out about this because it shows that they're really in this to win it. Yeah, always, always in it to win it. It's the competitive nature in all of us. We have to. That's right. Zach, I'm going to I'm gonna text you. Here we go. Because there, there's a guy that I want to take, but I'm wondering if I can find someone who fits a little better. <sighs> right. Did you, did you get it? Uh, I just got it. Yeah, no, that's that's who I was thinking of, and that's so how I was... I'm I'm debating between two guys, and one of them is a more not traditional because he's a modern, but he, one of them is just a, a center who can do a lot and it is really good defensively, but it would push Serge to the four. And the mm. other guy I'm thinking of is a versatile defender who if I absolutely, in a pinch, needed him to play center, he could do it, but then it leaves my team kind of small, but screw it, I'm going to go with it because it's 2020 and you can survive going small. Ah, uh, but is he the best guy left? All right, screw it. I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to go with Covington. Oh, that's not even oh. who we were, th- we were thinking of his teammate. Oh, PJ Tucker? Yeah, that's who we were thinking of. Yeah, um, I, I think Co- Covington offers a little more offensive pop. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know PJ can shoot from the corners. I think Covington can shoot um, can shoot the three from a little more versatile than Tucker can. You know, he can make them from above the break. Um, he can work inside the line a little more. And again, not that PJ's not versatile defensively. He obviously is. The guy, you know, is six six and starting at center. But I think Covington uh, actually proved to be it sounds insane to say because we're talking about kind of like a wing type perimeter defender Covington has proven to be an elite um, rim protector not rim protector in the traditional sense where you're starting him and leaving him in the lane but the way he defends is actually uh, makes him kind of an elite rim protector I like him defending smaller guys better than I like PJ defending smaller guys I already mentioned I think offensively he offers a little more pop um, and yeah, I just think you know you can you can put him on guards, you can put him big, but he can also fill that like rover type of role if you're playing some zone defenses and different things that I don't think PJ does quite as well. So yeah, I mean I don't, he, I definitely don't think he's the best player available, but I think maybe he fits my team. Yeah, uh, I'll go with Covington as like my three four. So I end up with a starting lineup of Jamal Murray, Shea Gilgeous Alexander, uh, Robert Covington, Tobias Harris, and Serge Ibaka. That's pretty damn good. Not not gonna lie, it was funny though because. Me and Zach were thinking of PJ Tucker. I did not even Rocco didn't even cross my mind. Um, yeah, and, and and you're and you're totally right. Like he offers rim protection in in another way. Like I I think at the end of the day, he does cause teams to have a little hesitation around the rim, and that's the job of a paint deterrent. Whether it's um, whether it's as a helper or or like your primary rim protector. So like he he is impactful there. Um, I like that pick a lot. I have to make one more. So just to remind everyone, I have Jaws Ion, Buddy Heald, and OG. And and so part of me is thinking, like, do I want to stay really small and hope that, like, Zion can one day defend fives or, like, even OG who's done it, like, occasionally? Um, 
But I do think I want to go big here. So for me, it's coming down to – I thought about Larry Markkinen, but, like, he's not going to give you much defensively. Um, although I think he's in for a huge uh, resurgence like because they – Boylan just did not use him correctly in Chicago. But I don't know if I can go with him. I thought about P.J. Tucker. Um, but I think I want just want someone bigger. So I'm going to gamble on – I'm going to take DeAndre Ayton. And I'm going to take him because uh, what we saw from him in the bubble was was pretty good. And it looks like he's starting to develop a three-point shot, which he kind of showed glimpses of at Arizona. And he didn't really take it all until, like, just the last few games of the season. Um, but, you know, seven foot one, seven six wingspan, like, can catch lobs, underrated passer. And he, he really he really showed that he's catching on to the pace of the game defensively, which I think is the most important thing. So... Um, I, I like Aiton. I think, I think he's a monster. Um, he gives my team a lot of height and size, which, uh, we, this past postseason show was really, really important. So he rounds out my team. Zach, take us to your, your last pick. Yeah. So I'm going to go with the center as well. And I had three guys that I was really debating between Aiden actually wasn't one of them. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, I think I, I've made up my mind though. So I wanted a guy who can protect the rim. Because, you know, as I mentioned, I don't have the greatest perimeter defenders. You know, I got C.J. McCollum, Jalen Brown, Karis Lurie, and Gallinari. So I need a guy who can kind of clean up the mess and protect the rim. I wanted a guy who was a good rebounder. And then a guy who could pick and roll and dive. I don't really care for him to shoot because I think I have four really strong shooters. So a guy that can really run pick and roll with any of those four and just be a elite rim runner. So I was looking at Mitchell Robinson. Probably won't go with him. Um, I think I was also kind of debating between Jarrett Allen uh, I like him, but I think I'm going to go with a guy who I personally think is a better version of Jared Allen, and we didn't see a lot of him due to injury towards the end of the year last year, and I'm going to go with Clint Capella. Um, I really wow. like his fit fit on the Hawks with Trey Young. I think those two are going to mm -hmm. run a great pick and roll. We'll see how it works with John Collins, but I, uh, I don't completely count out John Collins' ability to eventually um, really develop a strong jumper, but yeah, I'm going to draft, draft uh, Capella to, to round out my lineup. Well, they need Capella. Like, they need him to do what John Collins can't do. Um, and it's so interesting. So let, let me ask you this. So was that a big mistake on Houston's end? Like, do you think they ultimately would have been better off with Capella just doing what he did for so long? No, I think, I think the mistake goes back to, and it's very obvious, but I think the mistake goes back to the CP Westbrook trade. Because, um, you know, like, Chris Paul is so much more um positionally he makes them a lot more positionally like malleable and versatile than having Westbrook there did because Chris Paul's a better off-ball player he's smarter he's a better defender like just for a variety of reasons um the fit with Harden made Houston a lot more versatile than than Westbrook's fit with Harden did so I think I, I think trading Capella or however they were going to go about going all in on small ball did make sense once they made the Westbrook move because as we saw this season when you clear the lane for Russ and there is no big man in there and you can allow Russ to get back to like the rim rampaging guard that he was at his best as opposed to the guy falling in love with his jumper that's when you get Russ at his best right and so I think for their grand experiment it did work to move Capella out and even if you look at their defensive numbers for much of the time they spent without a big man on the court when they had Tucker and Covington kind of filling in at center their numbers were actually fine. They were like a middle of the pack, sometimes top 10 defensive team with those guys um, out there. So I I don't think it was necessarily the wrong decision. I just think that 
the decision that precluded it and predated it, which was turning Chris Paul into Russell Westbrook, in my opinion, um, again, downgrading from an overall team perspective, um, taking on an even, like getting rid of one bad contract for another bad contract, getting worse in the process and giving up two first rounders and two pick swaps to do it was the nail in their coffin. Mm. That then led them down the road where they felt they needed to move Capella and now have left themselves, you know, in it kind of backed into a corner. So it's a very long winded way of saying I don't think the Capella deal necessarily was the wrong choice or a bad move. I just think it was like a last ditch necessary effort after the bad move they had already made. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree. I really like Capella. Uh, it was it was actually funny. So before we recorded this. Cash messaged me and asked if we were just doing starting five or if we were drafting full teams at 12. And I kind of like to do this after we draft our five. So before we recap and get out of here, I kind of want to ask you and then Matt, if we did kind of draft like a six or in the seventh man, who would you go with if you could choose kind of anybody on left on your big board? I mean, I had, um, I can just mention a few, if you want, I can mention like a few names I still yeah, had yeah. kind of here bouncing around. Like, uh, Van Vliet was obviously on there. I think Malcolm Brogdon was one that, you know, if if we were going deeper and one of you guys took Van Vliet, I would definitely consider Brogdon. Uh, if we were going really deep and I and I, I just wanted some shooters, like I had Redick, Duncan Robinson, and Seth Curry mm-hmm. on the list. And then one of the guys I was thinking of when I was considering whether to, to draft the center that would then push Serge down to four was Yusuf Nurkic. Or even if we were going really deep, a guy that can play both positions, can play center, and and is super underrated defensively was Derek Favors. So those were kind of some of the names. If we were going to go really deep, that I was bouncing around. I had um yeah, so I had some of those names as well. I had I had Marcus Smart. I think what he does defensively is great, and I think he's really good for your culture. Um, I had a uh, Bogdanovich. I I I don't know. I love what that guy does, and it's such a shame that he he got injured, but um. I was looking at his stats. His last three years, he's like 47 and 41 first percentages, which is awesome. Um, I also had, and I think this is a year too soon, which is ultimately why I wouldn't have picked him, but I think uh, uh, Michael Bridges is going to be really, really good, especially defensively. Um, so he's just a name or th- another name I threw on there. And I had I had Jonathan Isaac, but the injury kind right. of, you know, so he was another name. Um for sure, for sure. Um, just to piggyback off that, if he wasn't hurt, hundred percent, I think, uh, I oh, think yeah. one of us would have taken him for sure. Right. Yeah. Zach, what about you? Uh, see, I had a lot of the names you guys mentioned. Uh, a few of them that you didn't mention that I also had on my board was Spencer Dinwiddie. I like what he can yeah. do with the ball. Um, another guy who I had that could maybe fit on my team better than a guy like Lavert is Jeremy Grant, just because what he brings mm. defensively, and we saw him really start to develop offensively during that Lakers series and then other than Jared Allen and Mitchell Robinson the other center I was debating with that didn't really fit the mold I was going for was Steven Adams so um I guess I'll just recap my team and then you guys can recap yours so I got CJ McCollum as I guess my primary ball handler my point guard then Karis LeVert as his backcourt mate with Jalen Brown filling out the wing uh Gallinari a great offensive player very versatile and then Capella as my rim runner rim protector and yeah that's my championship squad I've got Ja Zion OG as my do it all defender, Buddy Hill as my floor spacer, and uh, really, ro- I'm I'm really rolling the dice on DeAndre Ayton. I just think he's gonna have a really good year next year, and and I want to be early on that train, it's just so I can point everyone back to this podcast and be like, no, this is this is when it happens. Um, so those are my five. Cash, take us out. What do you got? I've got Jamal Murray and Shago just Alexander in the most dynamic uh, backcourt in the league, all Canadian backcourt. I've got. 
Robert Covington and Tobias Harris as my three fours, uh, with Covington obviously being the defensive uh, option there and, and and Harris being kind of my my shot creator and maker from the bigger positions. And then I've got Serge Ibaka as my defensive anchor, who I think with Covington um, and Shea, you know, defending the best perimeter players and scorers. I think between those three guys, I have a good enough defense that, you know, Murray and Harris and even Shea to a lesser extent can do their thing on the offensive end. Yeah. Um, Cash, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Matt always roasts me for only drafting Raptors. So, in fact, I was the only person in this draft that didn't draft a Raptors. So, we'll see about that one. Um, do you have anything you kind of want to shout out quick before we head out? No, just, um, you know, again, thanks uh, thanks for being a loyal listener of Pound the Rock. And, yeah, I would just uh, let any of your listeners know, listen to Pound the Rock download and uh subscribe to your favorite teams and players and, and things on the score app and of course uh subscribe to the scores youtube page as well and i think mm -hmm. that's it i think i've got everything covered there <laughs> awesome thanks so much for coming on man yeah, thank yeah. You. no thanks for having me guys it was fun ladies and gentlemen we are here with pat benson uh of so he said you know i was talking about i was like what do you how do you want me to introduce you he goes i'm not really into titles so let's call pat let's call him like like sports writer aficionado um, or like like the king of sports writing. He writes for Sports Talk ATL, which you guys should check out. Uh, check out. But more importantly, he's the author of a new book, Kobe Bryant's uh, Sneaker History. Okay, and it ranges from 1996 to 2020. Pat, how you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Thank you all so much for having me on here. Big fan of the Playgrounder. Uh, Y'all got me through the early dark days of the pandemic and the lockdown. And I uh, really, really like y'all's content. So it's, I'm really happy to be here. I appreciate it. We appreciate that. And, you know, knowing that you said that, we can, you know, add you to, I think, both of our respective moms for, like, our viewership. So I think that brings, I think that brings our website viewership to, like, a total of three, which is new heights for us. Zach shaking his head no. That's, what what do you guys think? That's not what I thought you meant by add you to our moms. Like, I thought you were adding him to, like, like his, he's our mother now. Yeah, Pat's our mom now. Um I do we have a paternal instinct. <laughs> you're like you're like one of those like den mom, like like a Girl Scout cookies mom, except you're for our website. Um, so I'm excited to dive into this this book. Um, and what did I see today that I wanted to ask you about? Okay. So well, you know what? Let's start with the basics. First things first. How did you how did you get this idea? Like how did you get this into your head? Absolutely. So like everybody, you know, love Kobe. Here's our guy. Here's our guy for our generation. We came up and uh, absolutely devastated on January 26, 2020. You know, we, the whole world, we just cried together. It felt like for a month. And um, I wrote about it. Actually, the foreword for my book, I kind of explained my reasons for writing the book. Super devastated for a month. Um, growing up in Tennessee, not a whole lot of Lakers fans. I don't know if y'all know that. Uh, so, um, uh, I didn't meet another Lakers fan besides my, uh, dad till the first day of sixth grade. Um, my friend Volante, he passed away in a car wreck the night before Kobe and Gianna's, uh, public memorial oh, in geez. February. So it was just a terrible start to 2020. Obviously things get worse. And, um, um, you know, uh, eventually I get laid off from my job on July 1st. I lose my side hustles and eventually my day job and, uh, my parents and my fiance say, you know what? take a couple months, do what you want to do, find out what it is and then do it. And then pretty quickly I said, you know what, I want my tribute to Kobe. I want to document his sneaker history. So I spent 
countless hours online reading everything I could find, watching every interview on YouTube, uh, digging up, you know, all kinds of information, interviewing people that knew him best. And um, the final product is finally here. I clicked submit on Amazon earlier today, so it should be out by the end of this week. And uh, I'm pretty, pretty happy with the final product. So it's kind of, um, it's kind of my baby. It's kind of my passion project. I'm glad the world's finally going to see it now. So, so Zach, real quick, because I know you want to jump in here. First of all, that's, uh, that's like a really sad story, but, but like the way you framed it as your tribute and like, I hate to use the word framing, um, because I, I think that implies like, you know, something transactional, but like, um, that's awesome. So Zach, Jesus Christ. Gandhi, Pat, Martin Luther King. Power rank those four people in terms of like, you know, their morals and how and how good of a person they are. So you just put me in like a really difficult spot because if I put him yeah. above anyone, I'm getting hate from anyone else. But if I put him below all those, he's gonna <laughs> just leave the show right now. So uh Y'all you are know, too sweet. <laughs> you can defer. You can you, you can defer, Zach. Yeah, I'll let the other team pick whether they want to kick or receive. Yeah, that's fair. No, I appreciate it. But no, it definitely is my tribute. And uh, if I never write anything else in the world again, I'm happy with this. Like, I just wanted to get this out here. And I just hope people enjoy it. I think they will. There's some really cool stories in the book. And definitely if you're a sneakerhead or if you're just a Kobe fanatic or a basketball nerd like so many of us, I think you'll I think you'll dig it. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm definitely really uh, sorry that all that happened to you. But I love that it came out with, with this and you you chasing your passion. I was going to ask, as like anyone who writes about basketball or sports in general or podcasts, I too like thought it like always think it'd be really cool to, you know, write a book one day. So I want to ask you, like, how do you go about that process? Do you have like a story in mind and then you interview people trying to fill in the blanks or do you just interview people trying to collect as much information as you can? Like what's like even like the first step in this? That's a really fair question. So I started by just trying to like outline like the parameters. And I was like, all right, I'm going to start from the day he announced he's going pro in Lower Marion High School's gym. And I'm going to end in 2020. And um, I kind of set the framework. I mapped out some like themes I wanted to hit on. Like I want to cover the technology, the marketing and kind of tell the story of his career through his shoes. And um, so I kind of started with there. I watched you know, countless hours on YouTube, you know, documented, writing, writing these things down. And then I started reaching out to people. And that was, um, uh, you know, I, I got lucky, you know, I threw some Hail Marys. And luckily, people were nice enough to reach out to this dude that they had never heard of, never met before, and take the time to speak with me. And at the end of the book, I say, you know, it doesn't get done unless, you know, these people like um, Rudy Garcidona is the Lakers equip former equipment manager. And Tim DeFrancesco, who was uh, the strength and conditioning coach for the Lakers, unless they reach back out to me. So um, a, little, a lot of luck and just uh, a lot of coffee and uh, just kind of putting one, for, one foot in front of the other. And if uh, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Are you a uh, are you a decaf coffee guy? How do you take your coffee? Oh, of course not. No. Uh, There's no I'm point cold, to that. I'm, I'm a cold brew coffee guy. And... Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see like one thing this book caused me uh, was definitely some insomnia. Like a good bit of this book got written from 3 a.m. to like 8 a.m. in the morning. And, uh, you know, thank goodness for coffee because that, that got me through. Coffee does not help bit. me at all. Really? Like energy drinks, coffee, nothing. It doesn't keep me awake. I could sleep right through it. You're a machine. Zach or just the, like Or the opposite of a machine. I don't know. Like. <laughs> 
<laughs> Zach just feeds on life. That's, That's it. it. You're on life. Yeah, like he just. He feeds on podcast energy. Apple um, okay. cider vinegar. That's my go-to. You know what? I can I can I tell a quick. Uh, so if here's a quick apple cider vinegar. I'm not gonna take more than like 30 seconds to like go off on this little sidetrack right here. Go for it. If you ever get a cut, like okay, so I had a cut like in the inside of my mouth. Like I don't know what happened. Kind of like a canker sore. Okay. It was, it was really bothering me. Yeah. Take apple cider vinegar. Put it on like, you know, a little napkin, whatever. Hold it on the cut okay. for like two minutes, yeah. and it it goes away like within a day. Apple, it, it cures anything. Apple cider vinegar. That's crazy. Um, I was eating some Lay's potato chips the other day, and I accidentally bit on one, and it was like vertical in my mouth, like it hit like the bottom of like my right, right by my teeth and like the top of my mouth. I, I only cried for like forty five minutes after that. Yeah. But once I wiped the tears away, I was okay. But I wish I had known that. I didn't know it was like a panacea for mouth wounds it, it i know people that take like a shot a day just so like they'll be I like do yeah that. i like to keep my body right i do yeah, every do morning that? and every night yeah okay i'm gonna have to research this because, i also take uh, wheatgrass i sound like a 60 year old man but i do <laughs> no this is in my wheelhouse because as a hypochondriac I, i'm constantly looking for like the next thing to keep me alive for like the next five minutes so i'm gonna have to write all this down Zach, Zach goes to like the smelly pill bottle section of CVS and just buys everything. Oh, I got yeah. fish oil pills. Like I got omegas in there. I, <laughs> I go through like my morning supplement chain. It takes like 10 minutes. <laughs> so I, I have another question for you. Okay. Oh. And, and I was reading through it because I saw um, like a clip you had posted on, on your Twitter account. Um, by the way, what, shout out your Twitter handle for everyone. Yeah. It's at Pat underscore Benson underscore junior. Very simple. Very simple. Yeah, go go throw a pad of follow. Um, okay, so you talked about this rare promotional kit from mm. Adidas that like some like really lucky fans got like actually received. Mm. W- what's what's going on with that? Like why? Like where can I find this? Man, all right. So right now it's on sale. Like some there are some people who have the entirety. Uh, I think they're selling it on Etsy. The last I saw, it was like four figures. And um, it's one of those, you know, uh, mornings, like 4 a.m., like I'm searching the Internet for everything I can find. And um, I talked to a, um, a Slam Magazine contributor, Anthony Gilbert, who actually mm-hmm. knew Kobe's sister. Uh, they went to the same high school. And uh, he's like oh, he's super wealth of knowledge, really. And he followed Kobe throughout his entire career. And he said, you know, you need to go back and check out these early Adidas commercials. And he sent me a link. And um, I saw at the bottom of the link, it said like CD-ROM promotional kit. So then I followed the trail. And yeah, so Adidas, I mean, nobody can market like Nike, but Adidas did everything they could to market Kobe, I believe. Like they um, sent him around the world, you know, and they took out full page marketing ads before All-Star Weekend. And um, they definitely helped build his brand in the early days. So what leads what leads to the switch i mean I, i'm not trying to spoil spoil your book but like what leads to the switch yeah i think honestly if you had to break it down it's a couple different factors one the kobe 2 we all know the infamous you mm-hmm. know shoe that looks like um the audi roadster that wasn't doing it uh and then roland lazenby wrote a, a biography of kobe and in that uh book he laid out a couple different um uh, important reasons on why Kobe cooled off on Adidas. Number one being the Kobe two. Number two, um, uh, Vanessa wasn't a super big fan of Adidas. 
Mm. And uh, three, um, Joe Jellybean Bryant, Kobe's father, was no longer receiving a uh, portion of that contract. In the early days uh, of Kobe's beginning uh, contract at Adidas, Joe was getting a little bit of money as a, quote, employee. And that helped sweeten the deal and that helped uh, secure the deal. So all those factors and uh, I think um, – Kobe just wanting to kind of um, go in his own direction. He wasn't happy with Adidas for a number of reasons. And uh, finally, uh, that led us to the sneaker free agency, which everybody loves. Wow. So we're like, were Kobe's always like your go-to shoe for hoops? Or did you just kind of like him and you felt like this was an interesting angle to take on it? Or like, were you always just collecting the collecting the kicks as well? Yeah, I love that question. So no, I wasn't always a sneakerhead. Like I just would, you know, kind of grab whatever. And then when I wasn't on the court, you know, I'm wearing sandals or flip-flops. But then finally, and this sounds blasphemous, like I got in so late, like the Kobe 11, like 2015, like Kobe's final uh, season, his final uh, signature shoe. Um, I I had a big boy job and I was like, nah, it's going down now. And so it was just boom, 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 boom. And I bought like four pairs in just a couple months. But luckily I calmed down. But um, no, just always a super big Kobe fan, never a big sneakerhead until 2015. And then so I got in on, in on it pretty late. But from uh, there on, uh, it was over for my bank account. No, I, uh, I'm i definitely into collecting shoes as well. I got like my whole rack over there. Uh, what is, what's like your favorite shoes you own? Oh, man, favorite shoes. Um, I am super sentimental, super sentimental about the Kobe 11 draft day. Uh, I proposed to my now fiance wearing those. And then um, I like the Kobe 1, 80, Kobe 1 Pro Tro 81 points uh, sneaker. And then getting off that, I like uh, the Jordan 3s. I'm a big fan of Jordan 3, the classics. What about y'all? What, what do y'all wear? Uh, oh, I don't man. know. I got a I got a couple pairs of ones that I like. I have nice. uh, I'm like I go all over the place with brands. Yeah. So I have some uh, human races like the Pharrells, mm-hmm. which I don't wear them a lot because they're too much to wear a lot. But I definitely mm-hmm. like them. But I don't know. I really like the 11s. I need to get more of those. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're solid. What so about you? I had a pair. I had a pair of Jordan Cement threes that mm-hmm. I I loved. And one night I <laughs> I let my college roommate borrow them. And, uh, you know, like, I feel like in college, you never check the weather. Like, you're just, like, waking up and doing stuff. And, like, if it rains, it rains. So we didn't know it was going to rain that night. And uh, those shoes came back, like, a little different. I'll just say that. Um, but I'm, like, I'm a big jersey guy now. I oh, feel wow. like I, tr- I I never truly got into the shoes. But, like, did I own a matching, you know, shorts and jersey of, you know, the, a black Kevin Garnett Timberwolves jersey, like, with the trees? Like, yeah. Like that was my thing. So like, I don't know. Like, so I'm more into jerseys, but maybe I need to. Maybe I just need to get like the trifecta and just get the shoes to go with the jerseys. You don't want it. It's a bad habit. It like it will run the bank account dry. It, it's ridiculous. They real. It's it's a it's a real addiction. But um, have you bought an NBA jersey recently, Matt? Um. My, so yes, I have a, a Jalen Brown. Oh, I'm sorry, a Kemba Walker Celtics jersey. Nice. And. I got to be honest, like, it's kind of itchy. Yeah, and super tight. Like, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm real thin, and I'm busting out of a large. And like, It's like, really? You, yeah. you feel it. I feel it around my neck. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and I don't have, like, one of those big, like, football necks. But, like, I feel like it's tight there, and I also feel like it's kind of itchy. I don't know. It. I like the look of it. Um, 
But like part of me wants to go back to those like Jersey jerseys, like the ones with like the tiny little like shoulder things that you would see like Grant Hill wear or like vintage, you know, Reggie Miller. Like I, I want to go super old school. You want a I want players start. Yeah, tank top. Yes. Yeah. I want. You know what I do want to find and I can never find anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want this to like get out of the bag because I want it to be my thing. Okay. I want to buy summer league jerseys. I think those are sick. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. you I didn't like just that. say it on something that was going to go all over the internet if you wanted to keep it your thing. So okay, here's it's out there. Here's the next one. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll cut this part. Right. I want to start buying like Drew League jerseys. Oh, I think that was so hard. Those are my those are my two ideas. They had like nope. a pop up sale. I follow Drew League on Instagram, and they had a pop up sale. And unfortunately, I'm three thousand miles away, and <laughs> can't quite throw down for a ticket. A plane ticket to go out there to buy like a fifty dollars jersey, but the Drew League jerseys are so cold. Like um, Nick Young, like he, his team always had like you know most hated or whatever. I, I like that. You're a man of culture and class. So I appreciate. Well, I'm. I mean, the the class part is definitely debatable, but I I'm a big fan of the game, like yeah. the rapper, mm-hmm. and he plays in the Drew League. Like the game was a legitimate hooper. Like he had he had some Division One offers and all that stuff. Um, I want to get his jersey. I don't know. So those. I don't want to spoil all my Jersey ideas, um, but here's something that like, here's something I think about a lot, especially in today's age. So I feel like in today's day and age with the NBA, mm-hmm. and I guess just sports in general, we have more player empowerment. You know, that's kind of like, that's been like the buzz, the buzz, uh, where the buzz phrase for a little bit now. When are we going to see players just saying no to Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, and literally just making their own shoe company and owning everything. Because I feel like they have the money and they can also raise more capital if they need it. So like, when are we going to see them just like totally say no to all the companies and say, I'm going to do this myself? Like, is that a thing? Do we think that's going to happen? Well, I'm sure Zach knows about this. You know, um, LeVar Ball, you know, he yep. was the visionary for that one. And unfortunately, not a terrible idea, but the execution wasn't there. Like um, coming out with a ridiculously high price point for the first um, Lonzo Ball shoe, and like it took forever to get to fans, and then they were falling apart. But Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, he's you know super eccentric. Um, he's kind of doing his own thing with his shoes, like he's creating some. But other than that, I'm trying to think. Zach, do you know of anybody else who's kind of stepped outside and done their own thing? I. I don't. I think the 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 distribution and stuff would be hard and like creating in bulk because I think that's part of the reason they had to kind of sell them for that much and probably not as much as he did. But still, you have to sell at a high price point because you don't have like the factories and stuff that Nike and all that do. So I don't know. I don't know any players. What about Starberries? You guys remember that? Starberries. Dang, I just forgot about those. Who? But that was like a that was kind of like a different. That was a totally different technique because he was like admittedly not in it yeah. to make money. He was like, no, listen, you know, when, when I grew up, I didn't have a lot of money. So I want to make shoes that are like 15 bucks that are affordable for kids. That's dope. Well, it's like Shaq too. He uh, yep. didn't, he, he, he wanted to make his shoes to go into Walmart for kids that couldn't afford them, but they could still have shoes that belong to like a big name player. And I always mm-hmm. like, I didn't like make fun of Shaq shoes. Like I wasn't just like roasting them every time I walked into Walmart, but I was always like, Oh, that's kind of odd. But after I heard that story, I, my respect for them like went through the roof. Yeah. That's some really cool stuff, man. I, I, I appreciate anybody who does anything different, whether it's, you know, they're, you know, maybe not totally successful or, you know, going against the grain. I think we need more, more people like that in this world. If you had to pick a player, cause I, I have my, I have a player in mind. Already. Okay. 
if you had to pick someone who would start their own line of shoes, like you know the like the ball, like the triple ball brand or whatever it is, uh, like Stephon Marbury, what player do you think is the most likely to start their own brand? I want to say Kyrie, just because you know he's so different. Yeah. He's so you know he's so out there, but he's just the golden goose now of Nike. I mean, or I guess LeBron is, but he's just his shoes are super popular at Nike, so he's never going to break up with them. But you know, he's such a he's such a he's such a weirdo. He's such a different dude. He, I could see him doing that. What do you think? That that's exactly who I was going to say. Um, yeah. And he has like he's more money than God, so like he can he can like feasibly make that happen. Um, but let's let's get back to this book. There's, there's, was, there's a couple more things. I was Go gonna ahead, say Jeff. Kyrie didn't even come to my mind first. I was thinking Russ because he's so into fashion, and I could see oh, him making yeah. his own kicks just because I don't know to design them exact way he wants. Even even off the court shoes, probably. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like uh, what's interesting about Russell Westbrook is he's so fashion forward, but I never think that he. I never find like any of his, of his clothes something I would want to buy. It's weird. Yeah, I'm, it's a little too fashion forward for me. But I mean, if I was just like chiseled and anything would look good on me, then maybe I'd walk yeah, around. If like, my body looked like Russ's, I would be wearing as little clothing as possible too. And and just for our listeners, um, just so they know because they can't see us, all three of us are wearing just like a generic sweatshirt right now. So we're like... <laughs> right, I got my high school's hoodie on. <laughs> yeah, I look best. I'm built like Brandon Ingram, so it's probably best I wear a hoodie to kind of thicken up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm out here looking like Chuck Hayes. <laughs> Chuck Hayes. Um, I look like Matt Delavadova. Okay, so I actually look like – someone told me I look like Woody Harrelson. I can see that. I can see that a little bit. Like I think I'll age into that. You look like uh, Ed okay. Sheeran. Stop, Ed Sheeran. Justin Turner. Justin Turner of the Dodgers. Yeah. I'll take it. Short I'll hair take Justin Turner. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take any of those, uh, to be honest. <laughs> okay, so give us like um, – I was, you know, I, for some reason, and I'm like 99% sure this isn't in the book. I'm just obsessed with the fact that like Kobe went to high school with, with Brandy. Um, so, (laughs) so I'm going to ask you like a more generic question about like Kobe's earlier years. Like why did he, what was the initial bidding war like for Kobe? So Kobe more or less was kind of a child star, you know, we don't really think of it, but you know, 16, 17 years old, you're a minor, you know, you're a child. And he had a very unusual upbringing. You know, he grew up, you know, born in Philly, grew up mostly in uh, Italy, back to Philly. So always kind of had a difficult time fitting in and was so self-assured, absolutely knew what he wanted to do, which is kind of the opposite of most high schoolers. So I think he had an unusual upbringing, was certainly, um, you know, rubbed some people the wrong way. Uh, but then again, it led him to uh, just an incredible place by the time he was a senior in high school to where um, uh, college coaches are sleeping outside of his door. And, you know, uh, he's entertaining the thoughts of going to the NBA and you have Nike and Adidas having uh, a bidding war. But honestly, um, it was all Adidas from the get go. And I explained this a little bit in the uh, book, Sonny Vaccaro, the guy who signed Michael Jordan for Nike. He had a falling out with Nike. He ends up at Adidas, and um, so um, he spotted Kobe pretty early on. Um, Joe brought Joe Jellybean Bryant came to Sonny Vaccaro when Kobe was a sophomore. He didn't have any camp, any elite camp invites. He said, "You gotta let my son into this camp." He lets him in, and he thinks, "Whoa, this this guy's going places." And this is when he's a sophomore. So um, 
he's sort of dreaming real big of what could be with uh, Kobe, what could be the case. And um, he went all in, four-year, $10 million deal, I believe it was, at the beginning, with $1 million guaranteed. And uh, it was unprecedented at the time to bet on a, a, a senior going straight to the NBA pro, senior in high school, 12th grader. So, um, you know, it was a really, you know, ballsy move by Adidas, and it paid off for the first few years. Mm. So I'm like, I'm a really big reader and especially like about hoops. So I'm definitely going to get this book and read it. Um, But I'm really interested in in like the process and stuff. So what would you say was the most like intriguing or interesting or entertaining interview that you had? Uh, I really liked uh, talking to both uh, Rudy Garcidonis, the former equipment manager, and then Tim DeFrancesco, who was the strength and conditioning cause, uh, coach, because they both worked with him so intimately. And Rudy uh, knew him from the day he uh, showed up at the Lakers uh, facility for the first time until 2011. And, um, you know, Kobe was constantly pushing the boundaries. He was pushing the design team. He was pushing the marketing. And then he's pushing Rudy. He wanted to wear these different, you know, colors on core and he said and at this time in the nba you had to wear team colors on your shoes so he's constantly pushing him but rudy said you know it was all love and um, then um dr de francesco uh was with him during the more challenging end of his career i think he came in around 2011 and was there until he retired and uh, he had some really cool stories about kobe coming back from his achilles injury and how nike made these special shoes uh special kobe eights called the medical mambas uh, designed to support his Achilles. And um, he was talking about just the incredible popularity Kobe had, like when they went to Europe. I think I left this part out of the book. But when they went to Europe, you know, uh, fans were just standing on the side of the street and then the car would drive through and then they would collapse behind them. And everybody said it was just like his popularity. It was just so hard to wrap your mind around how just every corner of the earth knew him. And so hearing from people firsthand that knew him so well, it was really cool. And, uh, you know, it was, um, I, I totally geeked out, you know, after the phone call, I was like, man, I just talked to these dudes who knew Kobe, you know, it was super exciting. I totally nerded out. <laughs> yeah. I could imagine that would be uh, really yeah. exciting. Were there any people that you like really wanted to interview and really tried to get, but you just, you couldn't? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Carlos Maples. If you're out there, Carlos, hit me up for the second edition of the book. Um, Rudy uh, G was the um, equipment manager from like uh, Magic Johnson till 2011, the Magic Johnson era. And then Carlos Maples was there for a few years after. And I tried everything. Like I put out the bat signal on Twitter. Like I had people retweeting it. I just couldn't find them. And um, I was really hoping to uh, learn a little bit more about the tail about the tail end of Kobe's career. Because the Lakers Instagram one time they posted something where it's like 150 shoe boxes dedicated to uh, Kobe. And um, Tim DeFrancesco told me how there's basically like a garage for Kobe equipment. And just like other teams, other organizations didn't have to account for it just because of who Kobe was. And uh, it, it was pretty incredible. I mean, he, you know, Nike definitely took care of Kobe. So that was pretty cool. So we've heard a lot about Kobe. We've heard a lot about – um this book and you know what's next for you though like i guess what i'm saying is um i don't know i can't wait to buy this i know zach can't wait to buy this um it's it's on amazon correct uh it will be by the end of this week cool mm-hmm. um like what do you what do you want next like what what do you what's your what the next step for you man 
Oh, man, that's great. I honestly haven't even had a chance to think about it. You know, uh, like I said, the pandemic caused me to um, lose my two side hustles and my day job by July. I poured my heart and soul into this book, you know, and um, haven't even had time to look up or come up for air yet. Mm. So um, I'm going to market this book and then just hopefully hopefully people like it. Hopefully um, they can give me some uh, feedback on what I did right, what I did wrong and either uh you know, I'm sure I'll keep cranking out some articles for Sports Talk ATL. And other than that, I'm going to just go with the flow and, um, you know, uh, just try to follow uh, follow my path, follow my journey. Hey, we're, we're all in the same boat. Um, I have – I don't know about Zach, but I got, I got two more questions left for you. All right. all right. If you had to sign with a shoe company, what company would it be and why? Nike, uh, superior technology, and the best marketing brand in the world. That, that was definitely a pre-rehearsed answer right there. <laughs> Zach, what, about, what about you? What about y'all? Who are y'all signing with? I don't ahead, know. I, I don't like this question because, like I said, I'm very versatile in my brands that I wear. Uh, but if I did have to choose one, I'm, like, looking at my shoes right now, like, seeing which ones I like the most. Um, I think I'd probably choose Jordan. I just okay. – I don't know. Be, more so because I would just – I think about what shoes I would rock casually, not even my own shoes. Yeah. And I just, I like Jordan's probably the most as far as like a whole collection. That's a good so, point. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to figure this, I'm trying to play this out. Like if I, if I was in the NBA, mm-hmm. I would definitely be like a journeyman, you know, end of the bench fighting for, for, you know, for any time that I could get. <laughs> and I want a shoe that's going to represent that. I think I would go with Converse wow. and like, and just try and bring them back. I want that really working man image. You know what I mean? Like I'm, a, I'm, I'm going to hustle. I'm going to do the, you know, do all the little stuff on the court. Um, or I kind of like Adidas just because of that. Like you guys remember that Sebastian Telfair ESPN oh, documentary uh, through the fire. I used to have it on DVD, bro. So, so good. And yeah. that's the reason anyone ever rooted for Telfair. But yeah. like, I remember, I think he signed with Adidas, and ever since then, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) So I think I was Team Adidas uh, ever since then. So um, I got – no, this this next question is totally not basketball-related. It's just what Zach and I talked about um, last – our last podcast. Um, Okay. Do you remember this, Zach, our our Would You Rather – I remember all the questions. I don't know which one you're referring to. Oh, is it going to be one of the ones you asked uh, after the NBA ones? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. So hopefully, let's say this this book does super successful, which I think it will, which I hope it does. And and you have all these these job interviews lined up, okay? So you're at a job interview, okay? And would you rather have a dry booger Mm-hmm. fall out of your nose at this job interview okay or imagine you had never met your fiance and you're back in time on your first date with your fiance would you rather have that dry booger fall on your first date with your with your future fiance so it's either it's either going to fall at the interview or on your first date when is this dry booger falling out of your nose yeah, I'm going to go with the interview, man. I got lucky with my fiance. I can't jeopardize that. You know, there are, <laughs> there are a lot of websites, but there aren't a lot of my fiance. So uh, I'm, I'm going to just embarrass myself and uh, say I'm at the ringer. Bill Simmons sitting across from me. And yeah. then I'll just try to play it off, you know, make it look like I had some sort of severe drug addiction. I don't know, you know. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> better than a booger, actually. Yeah, I think. Yeah. 
I think Bill would well, prefer that. Well, because then you're then you're a comeback story, right? Exactly. It's like, hey, listen, um, you know, I wrote this book, and and I, I had I reached the peaks of fame, and now I got to get clean again. Like, yeah. I could see an employer buying into that. Um, yeah. And you know, you you can't risk screwing up your first date with your soulmate. I mean, there's only one of them, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know, I could just play it off, man. Be like, yo, I'm I uh, I'm just snorting all the time, but um, you know, I'm cleaning my act up, and I think that'd be an even better comeback <laughs> story. I might adopt that as my story, actually. Now that you say that, you'll be the first person to write a book and then have a book written about how they wrote the book and what <laughs> happened after. Super meta. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. right. Um, well, I mean, Pat, we don't uh. We definitely don't want to take up too much of your time. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, you uh, you said like how you supported us at the start of uh, the quarantine. So I think we're going to we're going to return the favor and support you. And we're going to be running a giveaway for a copy of your book. Uh, we'll awesome. figure out all the details on Twitter. But so the Playgrounder at Playgrounder NBA, that's our Twitter handle, right? At Playgrounder Correct. NBA. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so stay tuned for the details off that. We'll uh We'll be giving away a copy, some sort of some sort of giveaway for that. So, and then on top of that, I'm definitely gonna purchase a copy of my own. So I'm uh, Me too. I'm excited Me too. for it. Thank y'all so much. I really appreciate it, man. And now, as soon as I get off this, I'm gonna go nerd out in the other room. So just keep doing what y'all are doing. I really like y'all's content, and um, you know, it's there's a lot of different like blogs and websites out there, but I appreciate y'all's uh, uh, just. Um, high standard you, you got a high standard for what you put out there's you know uh, no garbage no um, clickbait none of that so i really appreciate the playgrounder and i appreciate y'all having me on hey at any time um at any time so we're gonna we're gonna you know link back up to figure out this giveaway so that we can uh we can get your book out there and of course we're gonna purchase some copies so one more time tell everyone where they can re- where they can find you and more importantly where to find this book yeah, absolutely. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Pat underscore Benson underscore junior. And uh, the book should be available on Amazon by the end of this week and on Barnes and Noble's uh, website by uh, the end of next week. And uh, other than that, man, any questions or if you ever just want to talk about 90s NBA jerseys, anything, just hit me up on Twitter. Awesome. awesome. Thank you all so much. We stayed up to the morning. Talking to the first light of day.